You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 251 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. How are you going? Good. What's happening in Gina world? Well, I'm on a bit of a high. Why I've just come back from um, visiting a friend uh, who has five pet kangaroos. Like actual pets? Actual pets. Like uh, you can't actually mm. keep them as pets, but he's on uh, rather a large property, you know, maybe 20 minutes from where I live, and uh, he's been feeding uh it started with one kangaroo that he'd feed every day and it would come around and then it started bringing its mates and family it started bringing its family around and then there'd be one joey that had come and then that joey would have and now there's five of them and so when when we uh drove up the driveway they all came bounding across uh the 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 meadow there and uh they were all there waiting because they knew it was dinner time and oh, that's so sweet. Uh, and and he he you can hand feed them you can pet them they're absolutely beautiful and what I'd never seen before and it's like uh, there was a friend of mine uh, with us as well and oh, like we've lived in Australia all our lives we see kangaroos there's kangaroos here I've got kangaroos uh, two minutes from my house but yeah. I've never been, I've honestly never been that close where I've been able to pet them. You might go to a zoo sometimes and mm. I think that's even hard, but but I've never watched them feed like this and there's he, he was explaining that there's this pecking order that like the mother, uh, the eldest, the matriarch of the family will feed first, right? And then in order of age, they will then feed even though they've got their own um, bowl and the youngest son who is actually the same size as his mother. So they stand nearly to full height to the same height as me. So, you know, 5'8", I'm 5'8 with my hair done. Um, <laughs> they're tall and they're quite muscular. They're surprisingly muscular uh, kangaroos. Yes, but, but the mother's eating and then the son will come in and go, Mum, I want, I want some. Can I have some? And the mum will just turn <laughs> around and just whack him <laughs> and then snort like, no, go away. So the son like respects, like you can go, okay, mum, I don't want to wait. <laughs> and he'll wait patiently for like two seconds and then he'll come over and he's like, can I have some now? And like, no, whack. And this wow. just went on and on. And there was a couple of times where you'd actually t- take it up to her and they'd, they'd be like boxing <laughs> over the food. <laughs> and it was just the cutest thing. It, uh, it was one of the greatest sights. So it was so beautiful to see. And then, and then my head's going, 
Right, so we could uh, just uh, start charging admission here. We could get busloads <laughs> coming up. Of course, I, you know, I was starting to think like Valerie. I was like, you know, how can I uh, turn this into a <laughs> money-making venture? But it was uh, it was a great, great experience. How's your week been? What do you mean up to? There've been no kangaroos. <laughs> no, I don't imagine them there. Up. I, do you get them where you are near the water? No, I thought you probably used to like 30 years ago. Like yeah. not far from my house, there's a sign for a koala crossing and Aww. I have never seen a koala while living here. So obviously back in the day, koalas used to cross the road, but it's there's been too much development, obviously. Too many mm. houses have gone up or have been renovated or whatever. But I, I think 30 years ago, there were probably kangaroos and koalas where I am, but no. No more. <laughs> so, yeah, I did not see any kangaroos. I have been traveling. So I've been really busy. I've been going from Sydney to Brisbane to run some workshops and I only just came back and no sooner am I back, I'm going back to Brisbane to run some more workshops. I don't know why. Brisbane seems to be um, where it's at at the moment. And then I'm just really keen to come back and chill for a bit. And all I mm. want to do is when I come back is get through my to-do list, just catch up. Yeah. And I've given myself two weeks to catch up because I want to start afresh with some new ideas and new projects. Start afresh in the new, like, because an ex-accountant, is the 30th of June still a sexy day for you, Val? It is. It is, it isn't is. it? Have you got yes. some sort of geeky um thing that you do to celebrate the 30th of June because I can just imagine at your house there is something that happens that's kind of, you know, cue saxophone music. (laughs) No, there's no saxophone music. There is probably champagne involved. Yeah, you do celebrate, not celebrate, but you do, um, you know, mark the 30th of June in some fashion. So I'm not I, sure what it is in America, but in case people are wondering what we're talking about, um, the 30th of June in Australia is the end of the financial year. And typically a lot of significant things happen in the week leading up to the 30th of June. Well, they certainly do in my life. Um, I, that's often where I've made some of my major purchases. That's when um, I bought my last apartment, um, you know, on the 30th of June. Or, or, you know, the day before the 30th of June or whatever, depending yeah. on what whether it fell on a weekend or something. And so it's it's usually the, the week before 30th of June. So obviously the, we're recording this in advance and you'll, you'll be getting it um, uh, already when it's into the new year. But the week before the 30th of June is usually flat out. It's probably when I'm more likely to buy gear, camera gear, yeah. equipment, um you know, anything like that. I've got my eye on a fine art printer, um, which I'm going to check out. I will report back. Yeah. Yeah. And it can, it does um, fine art, but it also does, um, you can, you know, do big photography um, photographs on it. What size does it print to Val? So the one I'm looking at only because I am, um, you know, I I don't have enough space. Yeah. The one I'm looking at prints to A2, but you can right. get the one that prints to A3 and higher, but yeah. it's a lot larger. Yeah. So so mine prints to the, the one I want to get prints to A2 and 
and a, a little bit bigger than A2 actually. Um, but uh, the when you go to the next level up to A3, it's you need like, you know, I need to clear the room out kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Do you reckon Jan in accounts is excited about end of financial year? I reckon she probably gets the fancy clothes out for that day. <laughs> Don't. I can just see her now just getting ready for work on the, you know, singing a little song to herself. There'd be some sort of, she might bring cupcakes to work. She probably does. She does. She would love it. (laughs) All right. And Jean is making uh, these sorts of comments because I am a former accountant. Once an accountant, you can take the, what's the line? (laughs) Don't worry about it, Gina. Always an accountant. All right. So enough about end of financial year. We want to give a big shout out to Christy F. from the US. Christy has kindly left us a five-star rating on iTunes and has entitled it, Expanding My Knowledge and Worldview One Episode at a Time. Christy says, this is my favorite podcast. Hey, hooray. I'm excited (laughs) to read that. Gina and Val have managed to capture my tiny attention span with their playful stories and plethora of information I should say plethora of information about photography and life in general having always lived in a small rural Pennsylvania um, sorry in a small town rural Pennsylvania in the states it's amazing to be able to learn from experts who live on another continent and travel around the globe not only does it add to my photography knowledge but also expands my worldview I have especially enjoyed episodes like 200 and 228. They are full of both photography and down-to-earth life tips. I will continue to listen and soak it up. Thanks, Gina and Val. Oh, wow. that's so great. Thank you for that's that. So that's amazing. Cool. <laughs> I love that you've, you've left us a review. Thank you. And that you're listening all the way from Pennsylvania in the United States. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic. And of course, if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings and it makes our day. <laughs> it sure does. What else is happening with you, Gina? So um, I've just, uh, just before we came on to record this podcast, I've just been online with the Gold community members and I've been uh, giving them feedback on their lighting and uh, we've been talking about lighting setups for one of them is doing, working on a cookbook and then also uh, working with studio shoots and, uh, you know, getting people to move their soft boxes to this spot, use a reflector here. And then uh, I've also been working on a tutorial for the gold members on uh, what, how that using different light modifiers is going to influence how your final shot looks. So that's a detailed uh, step-by-step where I reveal how exactly how light is influenced depending on whether you use a high-end light modifier or all the way down to budget uh, light modifiers. And um, the results may surprise some people. So, yeah, really interesting. So it's been a fun afternoon, Val. Brilliant. And, of course, if you want to find out more about the gold community, have a listen to this. (laughs) 
Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, so this week we are talking to Kerry Pryor. Now, tell us about Kerry, Gina. Well, Kerry is uh, Kerry Pryor is a documentary travel photographer, and I first met Kerry uh, just over ten years ago. We actually shared a studio together, and I've been following uh, Kerry's work. Uh, for the last 10 years and she's done some amazing things and so I really wanted to get her on the show to uh, talk about her journey. <laughs> um, so Kerry uh, runs a commercial freelance photography business in Melbourne but another thing that Kerry does which is just fascinating is she regularly travels the globe and um, to destinations like Ethiopia, Nepal, Kenya mm, wow. uh, and on assignment for um, charities like Eyes for Africa and Beyond the Orphanage and it was the work for Eyes for Africa that uh, first caught my attention. I remember when she took that first trip back when we were uh, sharing a studio together and I was just fascinated by the whole process, the logistics behind it and also like she'd be uh, emailing mailing us uh, images uh, while she was there and then the stories that she told us about the whole experience was just fascinating and I'm so incredibly proud of the work that she's done and this year uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, Kerry was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia uh, for service to photography and to international charitable initiatives which is just brilliant and just fantastic so congratulations to carry on that so um wow. in this interview i want we we delved into a few different areas but uh i wanted to talk to her Kerry uh, actually did a diploma of photography a little bit later in life after she'd already mm -hmm. done a an initial degree on textile design and uh uh, I think it was textile design. And uh, so we talk about the pros and cons of studying photography in this way. And also after she graduated, she went out and worked as a stills photographer on the movie on movie and TV sets. And so we talked about the lessons 
learnt uh, in in working in those disciplines and how she used those lessons in uh, her future photography. And also we go delve into what the catalyst was for her volunteering for uh, organisations like Eyes for Africa and some of the highlights, logistics and challenges of working uh, as a volunteer in a, in an emerging country, uh, including like sort of what gear you want to take and what gear you can mm. take and uh, just what's involved because it all sounds very romantic. Uh, it just excites me no end, Val. I'd be like on the first plane if I could to get go <laughs> do something like that. But just what what is actually involved in doing the work and finally she gives us all some advice for anyone who is thinking about doing something similar. So shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Fantastic. Let's have a listen to Kerry Pryor. Kerry Pryor, welcome to the show. How are you going? Hi, Gina. Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um. Very excited to speak to you. The last time we chatted, I was going to say in in, in person that I saw you was uh, 10 years ago when we were uh, sharing a studio together. And uh, I can't yep. believe that it's been 10 years. And since then, I've, uh, I've watched you uh, sort of travel all over the world, win these amazing awards, do amazing <laughs> things. But right now, where in the world are you? <laughs> well, um, I'm actually in Nepal and amazing. I'm... In the south of Nepal, a little place called Biriganj, which is on the border of um, of India. So it is, and I can't even begin to tell you how hot it is right now. They've had a heat wave oh. and, <laughs> like, it's hot to start with yeah. and they've had a heat wave. And somehow I didn't, I didn't think it was actually possible for it to get any hotter. But, um, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty serious actually. There's been... Over oh, close to 200 people hospitalised the wow. other day due to the heat and um, we're sort of at apparent te- temperatures of like 47 degrees. That's not, is it a dry heat or a humid heat up there? Oh, no. No, it's a lovely humid between oh, sort God. of 40 to 70% humidity. <laughs> I know the feeling. I've been close to that. I've uh, I, so uh, when I've been to Chennai, it's been around those temperatures, and uh, it's amazing how uh, well designed the buildings are. Because it's like you know, I've been going to uh, locations uh, outside of the hotels where I'm like, have they got aircon? It's like no, but you'll, <laughs> you'll get used to it. And then it, they're just they're beautifully designed that you you do get used to it and. And the thing that I learned is wearing um, the similar clothing to what they're wearing. Like you'd think that a long sleeve yeah. shirt wouldn't keep you cool, but somehow it works. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I just follow any advice right now. I, I stand out a bit here. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> just would. A little, little like, <laughs> and, and it's just, yes, I've. I'm trying to adapt to the heat. I don't know if it's going to be possible, and I am definitely planning my days around where the aircon is. <laughs> and uh, you've got a great uh, tip for surviving the heat, and that's to uh, indulge in uh, gin and tonics. Does that work? <laughs> <laughs> or do you just not care anymore after you've well, had a few? Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> so I think what actually happened the other night was um, – I <laughs> just needed a little bit of a gin and tonic and I thought let's let's give it a go let's see if the tonic actually helps with the mosquitoes and I think they might have just been doing double pours for me and the first 
one went down so well and then there was a bit of tonic left in the can <laughs> and so I thought oh yeah I'll just go another I think I probably had the equivalent of four drinks in under half an hour wow. and then I stood up and went oh <laughs> oh it must be the heat <laughs> and then you sleep beautifully for the for the what, what, so what time's your first GNT on like what time's uh GNT hour is that like four o'clock five o'clock or you have to wait <laughs> oh, till it, after midday it varies but it's it's normally a little bit later on in the day <laughs> so like as I was saying, we, we last saw each other, we, we actually shared a studio for a few years uh, back in Melbourne and you, I think when you came and joined the studio, you were kind of, you just graduated and you'd done yeah. a diploma from RMIT and you just come mm-hmm. out of there and you moved into the studio and I'll tell you, <laughs> the first thing <laughs> I noticed about you that really I was like, that's so impressive was that you moved into the studio and, like, within a space of less than half a day, you moved in. Like, are you not one of these people that, uh, that I've got to unpack those boxes and I need to find a rug and I need a chair to match the desk? Like, I walked into your office and I'm like, what the hell? The, the rug, you had stuff, beautiful stuff on the walls. It was like it was like this uh, showcase office that you'd see on someone's Pinterest uh, board where it's like, this is the office that I'd love to have if I could have one. And you just did that. And I'm like, and then I go back into my office and I'm like, I need to, I need to do something here because it's like I'd been there for 10 years and I still, I was still only half moved in, which is like how I roll. Are you, have you always been like that? You just get stuff done? You just get on with it <laughs> uh, I, that's such a funny observation and now I'm looking now I'm looking back at it I'm just laughing it must have been like Ikea had just come and arrived at the studio but you did it I so beautifully probably... the color scheme everything and it was just like I kept walking into your office and it's the office that I wish I could have if I, it's like oh. if I could have my office to look like any it just felt like home in there oh. and and you did that and you made yourself at home have you always been like that like if you trap tra- because you you tend to make these like from from what I've noticed over the last 10 years you'll just make these spur of the moment decisions and just like yeah I'm gonna move to Nepal and uh, so, so do you just like embrace that decision and go with it rather than half in, half out? Yep, I reckon that's the way to go. Boots and all, just jump in. So, um, maybe the studios. Are, uh, so, before I studied photography, I studied and worked as a textile designer. Right. So maybe I, I brought a little bit of my uh, design <laughs> with me to the studio. But um, yeah, no, I. I reckon that's the way to go. You just bite off more than you can chew and then just chew like hell. And right. if, st- <laughs> if stuff is meant to happen, it just seems to happen easily for some reason. Yeah. And for me, this is just, um, yeah, my I, I hadn't planned a career in this direction at all. I'd um, So when I, when I finished studying, actually I, I did a diploma in photography because I already – I'd studied textile design and I thought, I, I just let's do a diploma. I need some technical advice here. I thought, two-year course, right, let's do that. That'll be good. Yeah. And then let's get let's get working. And so I actually took four years to do a two-year course. Fair enough. But you did, and you did that later and, in life because you'd, you'd done your yeah. degree. You did a degree in textile design and then did you go right, out yeah. and work in the industry for a bit? 
Yep, yep. So yep. I worked for several years and um, in the industry, and then I, more and more I'd started. So I, I was running my own um, little design business, and I'd worked for people as well in textiles. And more and more I was just picking up my camera and using that in the design process. And yeah. I, um, yeah, I, well, I went through a time where um, so my, my dad got really sick, and I was at a bit of a stage where I was like oh I just studying it was so you just know that's a safe place for me I thought I just need to be somewhere nice and easy and somewhere gentle so I went to photography school easy and gentle it was neither but um (laughs) it was a safe place for me and I actually went back and studied part-time and I was working full-time and did the study at night and then after my first year I just went oh this is it I've found it so I quit my job and um spent some time just um so yeah another couple of years and did full-time study during the day in photography and have not looked back fantastic and so how how was the experience of doing a photography diploma and the structured learning because today there's so many different ways that you can learn photography did you find that you're the kind of person that needed that that structured environment rather than trying to do it on your own um, I do, I, I think there was an element for me, like I said, I, it's a, a new studying, I, I'm good at studying and I mm. like it <laughs> and it was a safe place for me. But I think having also, um, studied in the past in a creative field, I just know that making contacts is really important mm. as well as getting as much work experience as you can so while doing formal study which is one way of doing it I just made as many connections as I could assisted whoever I could Um, I worked on lots of projects and did um, shot stills for um, films I would you know get crews of people together and just shoot um, like fashion shoots which is so far from like it was the most uncomfortable thing for me in the yeah. world and I figured I needed to know how to shoot on location and so I thought oh let's do fashion shoots at night because that sort of seems really like something that couldn't be too much harder than that yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I just <laughs> I just get like crews of other students like fashion students and stylists and we'd go out <laughs> and wander around Melbourne at night and take photos so yeah I kind of I kind of know through study if it's in a creative um, area, I reckon just as many connections and as much experience as you can get is the way to go. I think if you're the kind of person that that isn't, because um, uh, there's people that can, can just have that drive to that they don't need that school environment and they can go out and make those connections. But if you're not that what that sort of person, being in that school environment, you've got these. Uh, you know, ready-made group of peers uh, who are all have the same love as you that you can go, hey, let's do a fashion shoot together, which is a lot easier yep. than if you are on your own. So just going back to that, uh, the, the diploma experience, what do you think, mm-hmm. um, uh, what was what was the important lessons that you learned that you got out of that that you don't think you could get out of uh, an, an, another method of education and what didn't you learn at uh, <laughs> doing that diploma <laughs> but that you find um, as you're going there's a going right they didn't teach us this in school <laughs> <laughs> yes so uh, I reckon um, um, the, the, 
the good, like, or the thing that was really helpful, especially when I did the diploma, which is probably not helpful now, but we, it was just at the time of when sort of film was on its way out, but we were still, so I still shot film and processed in the darkroom, both black and white and Mm colour. And so I got a taste of that, having done some in the past, but still like at a real formal level. So having the facilities available for that at school was pretty amazing. And then having the introduction to digital at exactly the same time. (laughs) So that was really cool. And then also having lecturers that had worked in the field, that was cool. Like you needed, you needed that as well, I reckon. And just, um, so that, that was really helpful for the formal education side of it. I think, um, there's a lot to be said about, um, just, just go and assist a photographer, like just Mm. go and do it, like find a photographer that you can, um, that likes to hang out with you and you like to hang out with them. (laughs) I think that's so important that you actually like each other because it's very hard to have a, a good working relationship if that's not the case. They're hard days, assisting are hard days and you just, if you, you know, the you just got to make the photographer look good and you just got to be on the whole time and it's physically exhausting and mentally taxing sometimes. So you just have to find good personalities that work together, Yeah, I reckon. But you just – and then if you can find a photographer that's in the field that you're working in or that you want to work in, and that's so important just to – because there's so much – that while you're studying, like you're saying, that you just like you've got no idea, like about the time pressures, about like oh there goes the computer's crashed again, I can't tether, and I've got like how many people looking down my back and holding up like a shoot because I can't get this bloody thing to work, yeah. and you're like oh it's fine, I got this, it's fine, no worries, yep, and there's no one else to ask, like it's you, yeah. <laughs> there's no, <laughs> so. All of that sort of stuff comes a bit later on, I guess, when you're out <laughs> and knee deep in it going, oh, oh this, was this fun again? <laughs> so, so you talk about that like when you started, one of the things that you did a lot of, and I actually remember seeing a lot of your uh, film still work. So you were working on uh, a lot of um, mm. uh, movies and TV series, yep. is that right? Like a lot of that doing stills. I think, I still think to this day that being a stills photographer is one of the mm. best ways to learn about light and shooting under yep. pressure and being a team player because the stills photographer, what you don't know before you get on set is you think you're going to rock up to the set being like <laughs> it in a bit because you're the stills photographer and the, the seas are going to part and everyone's going to go, oh, you need to get your shot. We'll just hold everything so that you can get it. It's not the case. It's I think no. stills photographer is probably uh, the lowest in the pecking order of the entire crew. Uh, if there was the a movies. dog on set, you'd be the, the You'd be under the dog, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're the you're you've got to scrap and beg and almost yeah. steal for every single shot, and and you know you're always in everyone's way. There's stuff that's promised that they'll yeah you've got ten minutes at the end of the shoot to get your shots, <laughs> and they're like, nah, we've got a break for lunch. Nah, we're going to go overtime. We can't. You got thirty seconds. Just get the shot. Everyone's annoyed, and so. Yeah. And then and then you're trying to get uh, shots in light where you've got 
cameras in your way and you know always <laughs> hopefully the... the lighting guys have left the lights up just for a minute later you just, just you so just you can... beg the please 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 leave the lights on for me because the, the thing that i learned very quickly is once those lights go off on set it's not and i'm that, like yeah. can, we, can we just switch them on they're like no you can't just switch them nah. on it takes an hour for them to warm up <laughs> yeah. again you know so so it's it's all of that and even if you're working on a uh, a production that doesn't have uh, lighting uh, and it's yeah. all working with daylight, you learn really quickly how and they to move. manipulate yeah. that light, you know, and they move so quickly and you've got to they move They move quicker well. when they don't have lights. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to learn how to not annoy people, how to just, yeah. yeah. So did you enjoy that experience of being a stills photographer? Yeah, I did. I found it exactly what you were saying. I just... It's a really good lesson in like number one, the first, the most important thing to do is to just shut up and watch, like just and be patient. And you've just got to be on the whole time and just assess the entire situation. So not just watch like what's unfolding in front of you on the set, but just to like, is, is something just blown up in the background and everyone's got the shits up? Because that, that's probably not the stage to ask for still. <laughs> or, <laughs> or you just have this like, look, this I've been watching and this scene looks amazing. I think you really need a still of this. If you can just get me in after this to get this still, I'd be really appreciated because this looks amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe sometimes that works. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's really like a case of just just watching, and that's I think as well like when you're working with really good. Um, DOPs that's that's cool because then all of a sudden you're sort of learning as well how they're lighting you're guessing where they're going to be standing <laughs> where are their legs going <laughs> oh that's the, that was the good spot <laughs> damn okay <laughs> and, and, and oh, you'd start oh. judging them too you'd be like oh no he's shit he's standing <laughs> in the wrong spot <laughs> and of course very quietly in your head often saying, the lighting <laughs> guy is um you, you learn so much from the lighting guy because oh, I'd be hanging around yep. with him. I'm like, what, what are you doing? Why are you putting calico yeah. over the light? And they'd be like, yeah. because it just gives it a little bit of a – and then they rub their, their, their fingers yeah. and thumbs together and that's the technical term for just adding but, a little yep. bit of, to the light. And you go, yeah. right, got it, okay. Oh, <laughs> they're the best. And those those guys have been around so much. Like if you just went – and like I'd be saying, what's that for? What do you? And as soon as you're a little bit interested, they're so happy to share like at the right times of course share information and I, I can't tell you how many have just gone here I'll sneak a bit of this daylight or sneak a bit of this into your bag and oh a bit of cine for take that to school that'll be good for you to try that out <laughs> yeah gen generally so, yeah. on set if you if you can and, and 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 it's like everywhere if you can make a connection with people um they're they're, they're all uh prepared to help you out and i think film crews it it, it is a, a a combined effort you know if one person yep. lets the team down everyone suffers so you have to be a team player and it's like I, I really love the sense of community on a movie set where everyone eats together there isn't a trailer for the yep. stars or the you know you'll see the you know the the gaffer sitting next to the lead star it, like everyone's in the mess hall together everyone eats at the same time because it's this uh thing that we all do together so uh that, that yeah. I, I, I just I, I love that sense of uh, and you're a family for that that short amount of time and then you never see each other again 
I know, yeah, that's a that's a strange beast. <laughs> it's like you're like, living in each other's pockets, yes. you're sweating on each other, <laughs> handing out, you know, making and, sure everyone's got enough water, and 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 you know, you, you're right, you're right, you're right, and then it's like, okay, see ya. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> nice knowing you. Might see you again on another set somewhere, maybe. <laughs> All right, so you 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 worked on the doing film stills, and then you started. Did you start doing uh, commercial gigs? Uh, and then when when did the interest for doing uh, work for charities? How did that happen? Yeah, so like I, I was just I was really just starting out in in my photography career, I yep. guess you'd say, and. Um, working out of the studio and I had some commercial jobs I was doing a bit of assisting and just sort of finding my way and for some reason I'm not sure why but the healthcare sector is where I ended up doing um, a a bit of commercial work and um, shooting things like for annual reports and headshots and I just sort of grew there and then all of a sudden I just got a phone call from someone saying um, the photographer that's planned to go on this trip um to Ethiopia got sick would you like to come on the trip um and replace him and I thought Africa that's not on the radar that's not a plan uh um uh hang on you'll have to give me a minute (laughs) and um I'd really not planned for (laughs) for any of this and so I went and had a bit of a think about it I was like I guess I did that bite off more than you can chew thing and <laughs> went, yep, right, I'm in. So um, how, so how long did it end- take you to make that decision? So you, you're going along and you oh. get this, this job offered to you. How, how long was it before, like, from making the decision to, you know, yep, I'll do it? Well, you know, like, in your heart when it just goes, oh, you know it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just knew it was going to happen instantly. I instantly knew I was going, but I then my <laughs> my sensible logical side went. Let's just work through a few things. Right. <laughs> Let's just see. But yeah, I I had that gut feel that it was going to happen, and so um, yeah, probably a couple of days had to think about it. Just got some costings and <laughs> logistics sorted out, and I had to actually had to go and get quite a few vaccinations and all of that sort of stuff worked out. But yeah, I, I sort of the the little um, little bit of adventure ahead just had me going oh this is the great unknown I think I need to give this a go all right so let's yeah let's talk about the logistics of doing something like that so um okay you agree to the gig and uh you talk Mm -hmm. about having uh several injections so what's involved how do you um organize gear and backpacks and Mm. and like having the right because I remember hearing from you during this time and I was you know, thinking, oh, my God, this is just – and seeing the shots come in. So I was envious and then I'd hear, oh, yeah, but then this happened. I'm like, I don't know about that. But it was still – it just sounded so exciting. So just walk us through um, the logistics of planning a shot because you've got – how long were you away for? for So this is for Eyes for Africa. So I just want to explain what they do as a charity – and what yeah, your role so, was for them? So they um, they do cataract surgery in really remote areas of um, Ethiopia. So they might be working out of a hospital or they might be working out of a clinic 
or they could be working out of a shed with a generator depending on what's available but um, they come in so usually for two weeks at a time and then they screen patients so ahead of time they'll let a community know that they'll be there with um, with doctors and um, uh, and the nurses nursing staff as well and then the community anyone with an eye problem or an issue will come in and they're screened um, and then if if they're right for a candidate for um, cataract surgery they're brought in for, um, for treatment so uh, of course, anyone with any sort of eye problem was then sort of coming in, which is pretty full on because it's not always treatable in such a short amount of time. So cataract surgery is a—it's actually quite a fast procedure with a very quick recovery. So in in that way, it lends itself to a really a um, remote surgery quite well, and the um, prognosis for the patients is is quite it's quite good. So. That's um, one of the limitations of doing that, of the work, is that you can't really help everybody. So my job was to document the process of um, what, what these guys were doing. And so one, one of the things that I had to do for their records was to take – so the foundation or Eyes for Africa wanted just like a photo of each patient as they were going into surgery. Yep for their records so they knew how many people or how many patients were going through. So, and then yeah, you, I sort of, I, yep. Were you photographing the actual surgeries as well? Yeah, yep. So um, I was able to go into the operating rooms and photograph the surgeries and um, I, I actually was through the whole, pro I documented the whole process and it really, it was my first sort of, um, yeah, like exposure to – so all of a sudden I was photographing people that I couldn't speak their language mm. and they, in many instances they couldn't see me because they they would generally have cataracts that were so bad and often in both eyes that um, they required a family member to help them. And so I went, wow, that's probably like beyond my scope of – what I was imagining and this is a little bit tricky so I really like had to think pretty quick on my feet and try and work with um, number one to try and find like I was instructed to take a snapshot I mm. thought it was a beautiful <laughs> opportunity for a portrait yeah <laughs> so so working through the the planning of a of a photo from, from my point of view but to also um work with a person who's sitting in front of you who you can't communicate with. So that it just changed the way that I take photos in an instant, I'd say. They were probably the most forming two weeks of my um, my photography career, I reckon, the development of how I work with people. So you've got, I guess, uh, very little time to uh, develop a rapport with, with someone uh, and their family mm. members as well. So 
what what do you do in that situation where it's like here you are obviously uh, you 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 look like you're not from from there and uh, but they know that yep. you're there to help but you, you need to explain mm. that you want to take this photo and of course because you're a photographer you want to find the best light and the best background right. as well. <laughs> well, you know I did. I yeah, of course you did. And, I, I, and I, you know where it was? <laughs> right in front of the office door. There was a yeah. beautiful – so the door was a white backdrop, yeah. perfect, and then there was this just beautiful side-lit window and there were um, little window panes that probably would have been about 20 centimetres square kind of little window grid – which someone I don't I don't know who did it, but they lime washed the glass, wow. and I was like, "Huh, <laughs> well, thank you very much." So I then spent the entire I don't know how many days I did that for, like with people opening and closing the office and <laughs> just looking at me with daggers. But I'm like, "No, no, no, it's fine. It's good light here." <laughs> and so, so in in terms of communication, how did you direct? In that, did you, did you sit them down? Did you show them? What yep. were you doing? So it sort of varied depending on um, the patient, but often it was like, and and we we are sort of a bit standoff. Like when we take photos, we'd never take somebody's hand or take them by the arm. But I was guiding people and then tapping on a chair to let them know that the chair was there and where to sit, and then working with the family. Um, who could see what I was gesturing and to see if it was firstly, is it okay if I take a photo? Is it okay? It would, is it okay for you to come and sit here? And if the family was happy for that to happen, that often, um, you know, be helping to move uh, the patient as well for where I needed them to be. Or if, if it was, it's very clear if someone doesn't want a photo, they don't want a photo. That is absolutely fine. Right. <laughs> so I, I also understood that, you know, you're just, people are coming in for surgery who might not have even seen a doctor before. So you, the way that you work then, you've just got to put yourself in somebody's shoes. They'd be so, really scared, you know, what's going to happen. There's so many people coming through and getting surgery. There's not always time for the bedside manner that we're used to when you mm. go and see a doctor and you get everything explained to you. So there's a little bit of fear, which I found. So I found that to be able to sit with somebody take their photo and just have a calm moment mm. and a reassuring moment. Like you might not be able to speak the language, but you can still hold somebody's hand or yeah. show compassion in other ways. So that's that's what sort of developed. And then if there was people, there's always somebody that can help translate as well. So between family members and staff that can translate, we got there. We made it happen. Fantastic. <laughs> so so I, I love the uh, I, I love that you've got this purpose built studio, and I, I do remember that, that those images really stood out. And I, I remember asking you, I'm like, did you like these? No, no, it's all daylight. <laughs> so in terms of, um, did did you in that two weeks that you're there, so you say that the mm. cataract surgery it's a relatively uh, quick turnaround. How long is it from the time that you ha they have the surgery until they can uh, th their vision is returned? Is it days or is it weeks? What what's the process? So no, it's even quicker than that really? actually. So they might be an overnight stay in hospital, um, and it depends. I think it depends on how long and how. 
um, severe the cataract has been as to how quickly somebody learns to see again out of the eye with the new lens that's been put in. Right. So in some cases there were like, so a family was walking in one of their family members and say walking in grandma. So you'd have somebody on both sides and walking them in and they looked old, grandma looked old and frail and she'd come in, then she'd have the surgery and she'd be in the ward overnight and then in the morning the patch would come off off their eye so there she is, patches off and then she's out of bed and out the door and down the stairs <laughs> by, by herself wow. with the family basically running after her yelling like oh be careful be careful because you can only imagine how many years like of support and help that she's required and so it's it's magic it's absolutely magic and in some cases I had a Polaroid camera with me so for the little kids in particular I'd take their a photo a Polaroid photo as they had their eye patch taken off and so you'd give them the Polaroid which took a little bit of time to develop but as they started seeing again and the Polaroid was developing, they were seeing themselves as well. Oh, <laughs> so it was pretty cool. How beautiful. Yeah. That sounds amazing. That must have been just so awesome for you to be able to experience that. You, you, you see the, the, the before and the after and to be a part of it. So that first trip was two weeks you were there for. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Okay, and so in terms of gear, what what did you take with you? Uh, what did you want to take? What did you end up taking? What did you regret taking? And what did you wish you had with you? <laughs> I, I think I took everything, including the kitchen sink. Did you? And then <laughs> I took so much stuff with me. And then, like, everybody was hating me for the whole trip because I just had gear everywhere. So what gear and are you taking? Are you talking me. lighting and things like that? What did you bring that you shouldn't have nah, brought that you didn't need? So, well, <laughs> I feel like I needed it all. Mm. <laughs> I, I still hold to I needed it all. But um, uh, so just probably I'm trying to remember back now. To, I know what my kit is now, but back then probably a camera, uh, a body, spare body yeah. lenses. Oh, and I took a... I've got OM2, an old OM2 film camera. I mm. took that with me, film, because actually there were stages where we didn't have power. So I was like, oh, yep, we'll just take film just in case. And right. I did use it too. Yeah. Um, legs. I don't know if I took a flash with me, a, right. even an on-camera flash. Um, and then I actually bought fabric over there, so white fabric if I needed it for diffusing. All right. And then I did take a... I think I took a reflector with me yep. and then um, just a variety of lenses, laptop, three hard drives because it just backs stuff up everywhere. Yeah. That, um, well, the, the hard drives are necessary. Did you find yeah. that obviously that then you realised I've overpacked? What was – what did you end up just using the same lens camera combo the whole time? No, actually, I um so, I well maybe maybe so, eighty five mil. I've mm. I've got an eighty five mil that I use for the that portrait series. Yeah. Um, a fifty mil is my like, just my love yeah. <laughs> for how I see. And then I've got a twenty four mil, which um so I they're fixed, and yes. so I swap them in and out. So usually I've 
got a little um a little bag that I carry with a spare battery, spare cards. I've usually got fifty mil on, twenty four in my bag. Um and then if I know I'm gonna do portraits or something, I'll sneak the eighty five in as well. Right. So yeah, that that is kind of my go to. And then I um what I didn't take was a seventy to two hundred. And it's a it's a big lens to take around mm. on trips like that, but it's so important to have it. <laughs> where would you use the, the seventy to two hundred? Where where did you feel like you needed it? Um, well, I, di- I probably didn't actually on that trip, but now more and more, more that I'm using it, I understand how much how good it is and how <laughs> how helpful it can be. Right. I, I like it for doing candid shots actually. Right. So, um, and. I, so it's nice to be able to mix up between just sitting back a bit and watching things unfold as mm. much as being right right in the mix. So and even yeah, just for um for especially when I'm doing shots of that's set up shots too, for some some things like foundations might want um promotional things done so if I'm doing something like that a 70 to 200 just it's just nice it's nice to have <laughs> it's just nice <laughs> so so you're still happy to shoot with um DSLRs have you thought about mirrorless at this point yeah I have it's just such for me like to do a big swap it's mm. such a commitment to mm. And I just, I'm just not ready to. I'm, I know they're cumbersome. Mm. <laughs> the whole kit's cumbersome, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to stick with what I've got at the yeah. moment. And like, I'm, I'm like, cameras, like, I, I keep them forever. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely forever. So there's a bit somewhere in me that's like, I don't need a new camera yet, even though it's new technology and it's much more lightweight. I'm okay at the moment. I can still lug stuff around for now if I need if I needed to like just be carrying lighter gear and I was really worried about that I'd probably look at doing a swap over but I'm all right I can I can handle where I'm at (laughs) I'm okay (laughs) so doing something like this like you really you you have painted a a beautiful romantic image of the whole scene and I'm I just remember seeing those photos and and wishing I could do something like that I'm just like loving the light loving the experience loving how rewarding it must have been for you what were some of the challenges uh when you got Mm. there that you didn't expect and um how did you work through those um uh physically it's pretty hard going Mm. so um you're like it it is they're long days you're not comfortable you're you're way out of your comfort zone so if you're you know, you might be at a hotel that <laughs> you start off with, oh, there's no hot water. <laughs> and then it, by the end it's like, oh, there's no water. <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, it's and being your first trip, all of this is sort of like it's so new that you're just like, oh, really? Oh, the power's off again. Oh, it's kind of hot or like it's uncomfortably cold or the bed's not comfy or there's bed bugs or I'm getting bitten by something or like, it's um, they're things that if you can't deal with that, then you shouldn't be doing it because they're the days are hard and you come across things that, but 
on some of the trips where emotionally it takes its toll as well. You know, you have hospital care that's not hospital care that we see at home. <laughs> and so you might, like, I, I just vowed afterwards that I'd never complain ever again if I had to wait to see a doctor because I still got to see a doctor. <laughs> yeah, so. and they're waiting days or not seeing one or, or yeah. No, they just wouldn't have the opportunity to see a doctor, you know. Wow. And and so how do you deal with like any um health situations that come from you and dealing with the isolation? Do you just is it something that you just get used to? Uh and did you now thrive on that? So do you get back home to Melbourne and it just feels too clean, too organized? How is it coming? But what's re-entry like for you? Cuz I have a hard time when I come back from India and I'm not, yeah. you know, experiencing bed bugs or anything like that i'm in a lovely hotel but i still miss the hustle and bustle the smell the cut what's it like for you to come back here yeah so you you do get better at um caring for yourself when you're away (laughs) and i'm pretty good nurse now like i've got a very good medical kit and i know how to use it (laughs) So do you, do you take things That's like good, uh, then, broad spectrum antibiotics and like have yep. you got water purifiers? Is there like a basic yep. kit that you need for this sort? So you need to be able to fix yep. yourself on the run, right? Yep, yep, absolutely, yeah. So there's a pretty much self touch wood self contained unit yep. <laughs> that can look after myself pretty well. Um, but yeah, so that. You just sort of the more the time you spend away, the more things that happen, and the more you learn. <laughs> so the more you learn how to fix. And actually, I just spent some time with um with one of the projects I'm working on here with, and one of the kids has got chicken pox, and so I'm walking around at the moment going, I hope that's just heat rash. <laughs> <laughs> you've had you've had it right, haven't you? Have you had chicken pox? I've had I have had chicken pox, but I guess there's a shingles but that's all right we'll work about we'll, we'll just this i'm sure it's just heat rash because it's oh, so hot here oh but um <laughs> so, but yeah you're right like re-entry is it's like you've got to be able to live in it's almost like living in two different worlds actually mm-hmm. and i can remember on one of my first trips home i was sitting in a cafe and all of a sudden I could understand what everyone was saying around me. I was like, oh, <laughs> I haven't had that for a few weeks. And then I could hear this woman who was just like, you know, the voice that you tune into in the cafe and I really wish I hadn't tuned into her and I couldn't unhear her. And she was going on and on about getting a new car and I just don't know what colour I'm going to get and it just kept going and I'm just sitting there going, oh, <laughs> Oh man, this is full on. So yeah, sometimes you sort of um, you just gotta realize you just adapt. That's all. Just adapt. <laughs> well, it 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 just sounds like um a, an amazing and rewarding and rich life that you're living. It, it really does. It like so if someone's listening to this now and they're um, this is exciting that you feel it in your gut when you whenever you hear something and you get excited by it I, I say go do it do everything that you can to go do it like uh, life presents these um, 
opportunities to you, doesn't it? Like the first time you yeah. heard Kerry about this opportunity, your, your gut just said, oh, yeah, let's yeah. do this. We're doing this. <laughs> yeah. So you get that twinkle in your eye and you're like, oh, oh okay, all right. <laughs> so so if someone's listening good. to this and uh, they're thinking, wow, that, that that's, uh, sounds really exciting and uh, what, what would be, what would you recommend as the first steps um, who, who should they reach out to um, to try and get involved in, in a charity and maybe do a trip like this? So I, the first thing to do is just do your due diligence, you know, and find out who exactly that you're shooting for because in the world of NGOs and different foundations around the world, not, not everyone's genuine and honest and actually it can be a really dangerous um, world to play in if you want to phrase it like that and so there's lots of lots of little lives apparent as well that can be badly affected by um by people coming in and meaning well and um through volunteerism mm. um so i i just really really do your homework on who who you're going to go and no matter what capacity it's at and are then, there are there websites that you can visit where you can find out who who the good ones are and who the the ones to avoid, or is there anywhere that you can search that sort of stuff out? Um, I'm not actually sure, but I if if you're going to do, I'd I'd meet with people and find out their history and yep. find out exactly about their project before you, before I went. Right, and then after that, I would I would inform myself like any project that I go and do, I try and become a bit of an expert about it. So whether it's, you know, child trafficking or um, drug rehabilitation or just, just you know, be a bit smart and find out about what you're doing. Just don't breeze in and breeze out. Just sort of, you know, these are people's lives that you're going to go and be a part of or present. or So I just, yeah, be, be pretty serious about your intentions of what you're going to do and, um, if you're working with a foundation, find out what they need their photography for. If, if that's if they want photography for themselves, and yeah, I, I treat it like something that's um, uh, it's, it's really important work, but it also has to be done ethically and um, with a, with consideration. Right. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, you've shared a number of images uh, with us that I'll put all these images in the show notes. But um, over the course of the, the last uh, 10 or so years, is there an image that stands out as being one of your favourites just because of the mood or the sentiment or like how you were feeling or, or what it represented to you? Mm. Yeah, I think um, the one that keeps on cropping up and I had to like I've I've got um, obviously, being in Nepal, I don't have all of my hard drives with mm. me. So I know I've made a selection from um, some of my libraries and for, for you to put up. And the one that um, just every time kind of stops me in my tracks is the one of the boy. Um, and he, he was, that was one of the portraits from the first trip that I took. And he's got his eyes closed and he's looking down. So that's our cover and, image for the, for the podcast. Uh, yeah. Is that the right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a mm. very powerful image. So yeah, that's that for me is like he, he unfortunately he didn't have cataracts and that what he he did have an issue that meant that he was permanently blind. So that's a tough one, you know. It's a hard one. Yeah. 
Um, and so, what what's next for you, Kerry? What what what's the what's the future? What 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 are you, what are your plans? Yeah, I know, right? So, um, well, coming back to Australia for the rest of the year, and um, looking at trying to get some funding together for a project that I'll be coming back to shoot next year in Nepal. So, I um, uh, I. I've had in the back of my mind there's a project that I've wanted to shoot for many years now, so it's making it a reality. <laughs> so I'll come home and do some plotting and planning and come back and shoot it next year and, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes from there. <laughs> Fantastic. And I think I, I'm a, I did congratulate you um, off air uh, as we were chatting, but I, I just want to um, on air congratulate you for winning uh, the Medal of the Order of Australia, which is just unbelievable for your services to – uh, photography and uh, international charity initiative. How was that to get that? I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> um, it's very humbling, and um, yeah, I'm chuffed actually. It's it's nice recognition, but um, I can you know I work with a, a lot, and I've met a lot of amazing people <laughs> that would. Um, I could quite easily <laughs> present with the with the same award, so um, you know, it, it's 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 really lovely, but it's also, oh, you know me, Gina, I'm much better hiding behind the camera. <laughs> I know, but it's it's so well deserved, and you've done such great work over the last ten years. I'm, I'm you know, I, I couldn't think of uh, anyone more deserving. Uh, so congratulations on that. It's amazing, and you'll head off to Government House at the, at the end of the year and uh, pick that up. That'll be um, very very cool, I think. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Gina. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so great to ch- thank you for taking the time out of the uh, heat. So, I guess uh, is it G and T time there yet? I think you're probably <laughs> getting close to it. Oh, nearly, nearly four o'clock. Yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in the territory. All right. Well, I'll let you um, head off and uh, have a G&T. And uh, for those uh, listening, you can see your work at kerrypriorphotography.com. All these links will be in the show notes. You're Kerry Pryor on Instagram and um, we'll put a link to your Facebook um, page there as well. And, uh, yeah, I'll be uh, looking forward to seeing what you do next, Kerry, and I wish you nothing but uh, success and, and joy in the future. And, and thanks again for joining us. Oh, thank you, Gina. It's been really nice to chat to you. All right. How cool. What a fascinating journey she's been on and such, you know, amazing countries that she's gone to. Certainly, I haven't been to most of them. If you want to check out uh, Kerry's website, it's at Kerry. Prior Photography, that's Kerry with a Y, Prior, P-R-Y-O-R, photography.com.au. And she is Kerry Prior on Instagram. All right, so what are you doing in the coming week, Gina? Oh, my God. Um, curled up in a corner, rocking somewhere. No, I'm, I'm, I've got, I've right, okay, got this sounds... on. I can't even speak. <laughs> you got too much on, is that right? Too much on. Well, can I suggest? Yes. Can I suggest that um, uh, that you have a bit of Netflix time, or what are any you other streaming service that you want? Mm. Yes. What are you okay. watching lately? Um, 
what have I just you know how depressing it is when you finish a series I do. that you've loved? Uh-huh. It's so depressing and I then you know. go and then you get on Google and you go, When's the next season? They mm-hmm. go, two thousand and twenty one. You go, Well, what am I gonna do till then? I know, I know. I'm that's... into Big Little Eyes season two, okay. I must admit, but that's they're delivering that piecemeal. One episode a I week, know. like it's nineteen eighty five. What's going on? Well, have you taken a I did give you a recommendation, Gina. I didn't uh, listen. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. You gave me two. I do want to. I, I will so have a. I crack gave Gina the recommendation yep. of Fleabag, which is yep. written yep. and starring Phoebe Waller Bridge, who also wrote Killing Eve, the screenplay, mm. the script for the television show Killing Eve, um, with Sandra O. Oh How did you Conan. sell Fleabag to me, Val? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you know, season one was very good, but season two is amazing. And there's a storyline in season two where there's a hot priest. That's actually what he's described as in the show. It's not me saying that the priest is hot. Um, but there's a there's storyline with a hot priest and uh, I think that maybe, you know, Gina might enjoy that, that series. <laughs> <laughs> you should check nice. it out. I it's will check really it out. Good. I keep forgetting. I've just got to have a whiteboard or something or there needs to be an app where here's a good idea for an app. What's that? Because you get books recommended to you. You get mm. uh, Netflix uh, series. You even get apps. You get all sorts of stuff recommended and mm. you write it in your notes, but then you've got 400 different notes and then you forget them. So mm. you need an app that's organized in shows you should watch, books you should read, um, apps you should use, software and all of that, and you can just list them in the app. Don't you think that would be a good idea? Or I'm you could sure have there are apps already that do are that there? sort of thing. There are apps like I that. If anyone has be. any recommendations for apps that I can remember because I can't. Why remember. don't you just use any note-taking app but just write it in there? Oh, I just organise my notes to stuff I should be doing. Yeah. Okay. You don't do need an app. Oh, no, my notes are my notes app on my phone is actually organized in folders. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have different categories for different stuff. I will just now add a Val recommendations yes, folder. Yes. Okay. Lead I'll back. do that. All right. We'll fabulous. Yep. yep. Okay. So where do we find you online, Gina? You can find me at ginamilitia.com. So that's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me in the So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast Facebook page. And if you want to connect so with me. So that's the in- So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community on Facebook. It's a group. So if you want to join, it is free to join. We'd love to have you in there. Just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community and request to join. Sorry, go on, Gina. And uh, if you want to connect with me in person, then you can uh, – Look for the goal community. That's where I am. That's where I mentor photographers from all over the world. So if you're the kind of photographer that's thinking, yeah, I really want to take my photography to the next level, I'd love to work with you. So just go to ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. What about you, Val? 
You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and also over at ValerieKoo.com. But please do connect with both of us over in the Facebook group. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone. We look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com.